9. It says, Then the Philistines went up. So picture and remember what we talked about last week. Remember how Samson, remember he kind of called off the wedding and left. He goes and heads back home. The start of chapter 15, he decides to come back. And he brings a goat for the lady he was supposed to marry, thinking everything will be good, great, and wonderful. He comes back, and the to-be father-in-law says, no, I gave her to someone else. You can have her younger sister, younger sister. She's pretty. You can have her. And then we see that the Philistines, we see it goes back and forth. And Samson tries to get vengeance on the Philistines. Then you see the Philistines end up killing the man and his daughter. And it goes back and forth. And when we get into this thing of vengeance and trying to get even, you, will never, you never know where the consequences will end. So we get to verse number 9. It says, then, so this is after all that has happened. We're seeing the next thing that happens. Look at verse number 9. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Jerusalem and <clears throat> spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why are you come up against us? And they answered, to bind Samson are we come up, to do to him as he hath done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock of Etam, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hands of the Philistines. Now think about this for a second here. Samson is supposed to be the judge of Israel to deliver them from the Philistines. We see the Philistines move their attack. They're still going battling with Samson. Instead of going to Samson up on the hill where he was, and that hill was overlooking Judah in that area right there. So instead what they do is they go into Judah and they start terrorizing the people of Judah to where the people of Judah get together, 3,000 of them, to go get Samson to bring him to the Philistines. Think about how backwards all this is. Samson's supposed to be protecting Israel from the Philistines. Samson in his selfishness, and, in, and we've seen over and over again his selfishness and how he thinks about himself, and we've seen how he acts. But now we see the children of Israel turn on him. Judah says, we're, don't you see we're in captivity to these Philistines? Do you realize how strong Samson was? Samson could destroy all the Philistines, but they turn on him because look at what he's been doing. So you see there's a lot of things going wrong here. Samson is self-centered, taking care of himself. The Philistines are still trying to do what they do best. And then Judah, instead of crying out to God for help, they help the Philistines get Samson. So it's kind of crazy what's all going on here. In verse number 13, and they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand. But surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. And when, the, when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heap upon heap, with the jaw of an ass, 
have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and he called the name and called that place Ramath-Lehi. So quite a few things happen here. Tonight we're going to look at this topic. We see Samson, the rejected judge. Over 200 years ago, a hymn writer named William Coper penned these words, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. The whole goal of that hymn was Coper wanted to remind his readers that God works behind the scenes in our lives to accomplish his will. And we see this happen over and over again in the story of Samson. Samson is not worried about anybody but himself. And the process of all this, God still is working in the midst of all of this going on. And God's hand, and sometimes you might look at situations, you might look at things going on and be like, where's God working? But something you got to understand, God is working. God knows where we're at. God knows what's going on. And God is working. We see in this passage of Scripture, you just see a self-centered judge over and over again. You see people, you see people that are in oppression, and instead of seeking God for deliverance, they rather stay in bondage to the Philistines. We see things totally opposite how they should be. But I want you to understand something. God was still working here. You see, God chose Samson before he was ever born to be the deliverer of Israel. Yet he seemed, you think about this, every moment of his life he lived for himself. Samson was supposed to be a man separated unto God in holiness. He was a Nazarite. Yet he lived a life seeking and embracing ungodly women. He was supposed to be a Nazarite all of his life. How many vows did he break? Do you realize something here? He took the jawbone of a donkey. There's another violation of his Nazarite vow that he should not have done. Samson was sinful. Samson was selfish. Samson was devoted to himself. And yet he was used of God despite all of his shortcomings. And that may be, you think about that, how could God use someone so selfish, so self-centered, so full of sin? Have you ever looked in a mirror? That's what he does with all of us. Sometimes, we gotta, one thing we've got to remember, sometimes we look in the Bible and we look at a guy like Samson and be like, wow, look at how bad this guy is. Look at how selfish he is. Look at what a sinner he is. And then we forget, oh yeah, I'm pretty selfish. Oh yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, and God can still work in the midst of it. What a God we serve. Don't ever lose sight of that. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll dive into the message tonight. Father in heaven, we're grateful that we can be here tonight and be gathered to be in your word. What a precious book. Thank you for it. Thank you for the privilege and the honor to be able to open it and to study it, be able to proclaim it to these people. Bless our time here tonight, and I pray you bless all that's said and done. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Goes back and forth. Samson continues to go after women he shouldn't. The Philistines deceive him at his wedding. Samson kills 30 Philistines to pay back a debt from his gambling debt that he made. Samson's bride's given to another man. Samson retaliates by 
tying two foxes' tails together, sticking a thing of fire in between, and burning all the crops of the Philistines. The Philistines respond by burning Samson's bride and her father. And then Samson retaliates by killing many Philistines. And then now the Philistines decide to go into Judah and attack the people of God. We see here the response. Of, we see Samson and the Philistines, but we also see the people of God and their response in the midst of it. And tonight we'll see how while Samson was far from perfect, he was also around a lot of people that would rather live in bondage than have freedom in the children of Israel here. In this passage, we see a judge that's been rejected by the people he came to save. We'll see a man used by God to accomplish the will of God, even though he was bound and set on serving himself. There are several lessons tonight that I want to give you. And with Samson, we're breaking him down. We've gone through a lot of the judges. Samson's one of the only ones that I'm basically going verse by verse. Every verse is getting covered in life of Samson. And we probably have five more weeks on Samson because there's so much here for us to learn. And I hope that as we've gone through in past weeks, I give you at the end of the lesson, I give you some practical things to remember. And hopefully you save those and remember some things here. But as we dive into night number one, we see the Philistines and their attack. They're in verse number nine. They pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. The Philistines and their attack, letter A, we see what the purpose of the attack was. The purpose was to carry out, and they wanted to kill Samson. They wanted to take him. And what we see here is they realize that Samson's a force to be reckoned with. But they realize if they go after him themselves, it's probably not going to work out very well. We see what happened to all those other Philistines that Samson had killed. So they go after the people. Here's one man who single-handedly could kill a whole bunch of Philistines, but we see the Philistines decide to attack the people, first of all. That's the purpose of the attack, was to get to Samson. Letter B, we see the program of the attack. Their whole goal, verse number 10, they said to bind Samson, or we come up, and to do to him as he hath done to us. That was their goal. That was their whole idea here. It was to bring Samson into custody. Then letter C, we see the plan of this attack. How are they going to carry it out? We see in verse number um, 10 and 11, but we see the fact that they began to terrorize them. When the, word, when the Bible says here they spread, um, they spread themselves in Lehi, they began to spread out and terrorize the people is what they did. Their goal was to make Israel cower in fear, and that's exactly what they did. And then we see letter D, we see the place of the attack. Verse number 8 tells us that Samson was on top of Mount Etim, the rock there, Etim. And this was located in Judah. And this is where the Philistines pressed their attack. Their sights were on Samson. They were determined to get to Samson through the people. What we see over and over again in the Bible, there are a lot of comparisons between, and you can take a group of people like the Philistines. And when we see the Philistines, you can see a vivid picture of how Satan and his forces attack the people of God. We see a great example of this right here in this passage before our eyes. The Philistines represent the enemies of God. They have their sights on Samson. We see this here. They attack in retaliation for what Samson had done to them. And you need to be aware of something. 
and especially in this world that we live, that when you attack Satan's territory, he doesn't sit idly by and let you just take ground. He is swiftly launching a counterattack against those trying to do something for the Lord. What is Satan's territory today? Who's the prince of the power of this world? Satan is. So when we try and serve God, when we do things, and just when a church begins to grow and reach people for the Lord, that's when the enemy comes. That's when we see that, and we see him come to bind in a church and disrupt things. And from within, you know, most churches, the biggest problems they have are not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And when you try to serve God, when you're trying to live for God, that's when the devil's going to do his best to come after you. And church, that's why we got to be very, very careful. we got to be careful about the things that we say and the things that we do. And sometimes I hear, and lately I've, I've heard some, and it's not your job to talk about what you don't like about certain things about the church. Let me just give you a little hint. you got a problem with anything in the church. This is the ones in that crowd, probably the ones I should be talking to. They're not even here tonight. But I promise you, you got a problem with the church, you got a problem with something, my office is right there. You can come see me anytime you want. You can sit in my chair in, behind my desk, and I'll sit in the other chair, and you can tell me what needs to be fixed. And I'll work with you. It does no good to stand outside in a group of people and say, well, I don't like this, and I don't like this. Why don't you go get some tracks and tell people about Jesus, and you won't have time to worry about what you don't like? And that's true. And you say, well, pastor, and that's where we got to be careful. And this is the thing. We're not always, there's going to be something that we don't like. Maybe you don't like the paint color in here. And if you don't, we can come talk about it. And we can, you know, you can paint my office whatever color you want it painted. You know, if you want to paint it purple, you can go in there and paint it purple. And I'll have a nice little spot that's purple and I'll put a picture over it so I don't have to see it anymore. But it's amazing the things that in a church that people talk about. We need to be loving the Lord. We need to be busy about the things of God. And when a church is reaching people, that's when the attacks come. And when Satan makes his attack like the Philistines, he will spread his influence around and he'll attempt to affect the areas in the life that the church tries to accomplish. He'll do his best to discourage the people of God. He'll do his best to do all these things. The devil works just like the Philistines worked here. When he's attacked by an individual or by a church, he attacks back. And guess what? I'm going to give you the one way to never be attacked by the devil. Are you ready? Just don't do anything. He won't attack you if you just don't do anything. If you don't live for God, he will not mess with you. If you're worried about Satan getting to you tonight, do nothing. He won't mess with you. But shame on us if we would do nothing. As long as we do nothing, we're safe. But as we stand for the truth, righteousness, and Jesus Christ, we have a target on our back. Remember what the Bible said about Peter? Satan hath desired to have you, they may sift you as the wheat. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you, that your faith would fail not. And what a blessing that is, the way the Lord works. But we see the Philistines and we see their attack. Number two, we see Judah and their arrangement. Verse 10 through verse number 13. We see, first of all, Judah's concern in letter A, their concern. When the Philistines attacked the elders of Judah, they panicked. 
they go to the Philistines and say, why are you attacking us? And they said, the reason we're attacking you is because of Samson and what he's done to us. And then these men, you know, they don't seem to care that they're under Philistine bondage here. All that concerns them was that they were being terrorized a little extra than normal. They wanted that to stop. But God had Samson there because the Philistines were a pain in Israel's side this entire time. And they were a pain in their side later on with David, as we've seen, and we know that passage of Scripture. And you see, they didn't, doesn't sound like they knew what Samson had been up to. Seems like they just kind of lived kind of carefree, didn't worry about it. But it's interesting, the one man they should have been following that was supposed to be their judge, they knew nothing about. I think that most of the fault would go to Samson in the life that he was living. But I also don't put the people totally free from anything as well. But the one man who delivered them from oppression is the man that they turn on because of what the Philistines were doing to them already. We see, first of all, letter A, their concern. We see letter B, their compromise. Verse 11 and 12, these three they take 3,000 men, an army of 3,000, and they go to take and bring Samson back. They confront him about his activity and say, we're bringing you back to the Philistines. And you'll notice something. Samson doesn't say anything about God in any of this. The children of Israel, Judah, say nothing about God or the oppression taking place. Nothing. None of those things. Samson was concerned about Samson, and Judah was concerned with getting the oppression to stop, the deeper oppression they were facing. Samson does something wise in his life. Now, to this point in what we studied about Samson, I don't know you can say he did a lot of wise things, but he did something wise here. He decided not to fight with the people. And so it says that they brought along these new cords. These were ropes that had never been used before. They were still green, they were very strong, and a man bound in ropes like these would have no chance of breaking out. That's why they had the new ropes to tie Samson's arms with. And so Samson does not fight against the people. He gives himself up to them, and he, bring, and he goes with them. And you think about this, when you think about Judah, you see their compromise. They, were, they weren't standing for what was right. They're helping the enemy of God. You see letter C, the next thing that we see is their choice. The men of Judah, they chose bondage over liberty. They chose the status quo over God's will for their lives. They chose the Philistines over the man that God had chosen to deliver them from the Philistines. Instead of being willing to take a stand against the oppressors, they chose to sacrifice one of their own. We see how many respond today. We use the word in churches, the word apathy today. There's a lot of apathy in the people of God. They don't care. Who cares? We don't do anything about anything. We just let things go as they are, and it's not a big deal to us. And that's how many churches are today. We don't stand, a lot of churches don't stand for the truth 
because we might hurt someone's feelings by standing for the truth. They're afraid to say anything, do anything, or take any position that might rock the boat. Israel made their choice this day. They chose bondage over liberty. They chose not to stand for the things of God. They chose to let their enemies be in control. And these men of Judah, you know, they made a choice this day. Two things they're kind of guilty of here. One, they're as guilty as if they had taken Samson's life themselves because they were giving him to the Philistines to kill him. They handed him over to them. They didn't kill him, but they delivered him to be killed. An accomplice to the crime. The Bible talks about in Romans 1.32, who know the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And whether you participate in an attack of the enemy, you are still guilty and part of it. They participated here. And when we look at the people of God here, God's children, we see them abandon their own and cling to the enemy. The Bible talks about Matthew twelve thirty: He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. We see the Philistines and we see the reason why they attacked. We see Judah and their arrangement that they made with the Philistines and they bring Samson back to them, which leads us to number three. And lastly tonight, we see Samson and his accomplishment. When Samson was delivered to the Philistines, the Philistines thought their trouble was over. They saw him bound. The Bible says they shouted against him. Later on when we get to the end of Samson's life and we see how they were mocking Samson, how they thought they really had him well, we'll see that God got the last laugh at the end of the day when it came to the Philistines here. But we see Samson hear this phrase basically where it talks about they shouted against him, they were shouting in victory. Their, people, their goal was to kill Samson and end his strategy against them. But we see, first of all, letter A, we see Samson's power. We see in chapter, verse number 14, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords which were upon his arms became as flax and was burnt with fire, and his bands loosened from off his hands. In spite of his failures, in spite of Samson, all that he's done, God continued to use him. The Spirit of God not only came upon him, but you see right there it says he came mightily upon him. These new cords were not easy to break, but you see what the Holy Spirit did here. The Bible says these bonds were loosened, which means they melted or dissolved. Samson was free. And do you realize something tonight? Our path to liberty tonight can only come, and it comes through the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible tells us 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 17. Do you have that verse there, Connor? Put that up there. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We are often bound by our sin, our problems, our circumstances. But when we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, and when we walk in the power of the Spirit, the things that bind us lose their hold on us. We're set free to serve the Lord. The secret to liberty in the Christian life is to yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. Every moment of the day, we've studied,
just recently the power of the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And far too many Christians today live in bondage. Why do Christians that are saved children of God walk around in bondage to their sin? Because we're not yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. Because when, the, when we're yielded to Him, and when we're letting the Spirit of God work in our lives, He produces liberty in our lives. That's what we need. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need His leading in our lives. We need to yield control and let the Spirit of God work in our lives. That's what we need today. Far too many Christians live in bondage today. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And it's amazing to me how all of us have the Holy, that are saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. And He's so powerful. The most powerful being in all the universe lives inside of us that are saved. And yet we do not use that power. We try to do everything on our own. We try to live in our own strength. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Satan can't stand up against the Holy Spirit. He can't. Holy Spirit's just as much God as God the Father is, as much as Jesus Christ the Son is God. We need to yield to him and let him work. We see... Samson is accomplished. We see his power. The Spirit of God came upon him. Letter B, we see his performance. He picks up a new jawbone, it says, of an ass and killed a thousand men with a jawbone. The Bible calls it new, which means it's probably, it's probably a, a male donkey because you know those female donkeys, they probably talk a lot so they were a little loose. This had the idea of it being tight. And so, that's, so it was one that was not going to break very easy there. And uh, it had the idea it was strong and not likely to break. It hadn't been lying in the sun for a long period. It would have become brittle and unable to be used. This was a strong jawbone. Imagine all those thousand people with a jawbone. A jawbone is a dangerous weapon. And I tell you something tonight. I don't think more damage has been done in lives, families, and churches. I think our jawbones have caused a a lot of damage to a lot of people. And you see the jawbone of a donkey here kill a thousand people. But the Bible talks about in the book of James, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. A man once said, a sharp tongue is the only edge tool that grows keener with constant use. Our tongues, we've got to be careful with our tongues and what we say. We see that Samson used the jawbone of an ass. Letter C, we see his problem. After Samson's victory, he composed a short poem about it. He even named the place Ramath-Lehi, which means the height or hill of the jawbone. That's referring to the height of the bodies that he had just killed with that jawbone. Samson was pleased in his victory. But once again, he's untroubled by the fact that he disobeys God in the process. A Nazarite should never have touched the jawbone of a donkey. Ever. The Bible talks about Leviticus. Do you have a Leviticus 11.8? It says, Or the flesh, their flesh shall ye eat, and their carcass shall ye not eat. They are unclean to you. Talking about a donkey. 
They were not supposed to. Add to the fact, think about this one. You have the jawbone, the donkey, but then the other thing is a Nazarite's not supposed to touch a dead body either, are they? And once again, it's very easy to see the fact that Samson violated his vow of separation to God. And what it shows us is the fact that God will still accomplish, accomplish his will even with sinful people like us. He still works. The Bible tells us Psalm 115, verse number 3, But our God is in the heaven. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And no matter how it seems, or we see once again Samson not doing things God's way, God still is in control. It's interesting to note too, did you notice that none of the 3,000 men of Judah helped Samson out here? He's the only one. And sometimes in the work of God, it gets a little lonely sometimes. Imagine how much easier it would have been for 3,000 to go against 1,000. That might have helped just a little bit. But as we face this world and as we go through things, we're never alone. He's always with us. And he'll never forsake us. He's always there. Roger Starbaugh was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys who won a world championship in 71. And this is what he said. He admitted to that his position as the quarterback he did not like the fact that he didn't get to call his own. He didn't get to call his own plays. His coach, Coach Landry, picked all the plays. He said when they were going to run the ball. He told Starbaugh when he was going to throw the ball. That's the way it worked. And he told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in an emergency situation. Could he change the play? But if he changed the play, he had better be right about the play he picked. And even though Roger considered Coach Landry to be a genius mind, when it came to football strategy, Pride said that he should be able to run the team the way he wanted to because he was the quarterback. Starball later said this, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and we won the Super Bowl. In this passage, if you want something to take away tonight from this passage about Samson, and yes, we just took a few verses here and we see this never-ending circle of different things with Samson. If there's one thing that you can take away with tonight, it's obedience. Samson failed in his obedience and tragedy failed. Judah failed in their obedience and compromise followed. When we walk in obedience, we find harmony, fulfillment, and we're not going to win the Super Bowl. We can find victory. I'll put it that way. When we don't, we find ourselves in chaos, emptiness, and failure. Where do you stand tonight? Do you obey this book? It should be obeyed by the people of God. We live in a day where we're picking and choosing what parts we want to obey and what parts we don't want to obey. Our job is to obey this book. And we, we call ourselves Baptists and we believe in the authority of Scripture. Is the Scripture really our final authority? If it is, then we obey what it says. As the old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey. Are you standing for the truth? Are you standing for the Lord and the things of God? Or have you compromised and cooperated with the enemy in his efforts to attack the Lord's work and his people? Maybe you're like Samson tonight and you're dirty and you need to get clean before a holy God. Maybe you've been discouraged because it seems like you're alone in the battles of life. I don't know what, where you're at tonight. But I'll tell you this, Christian. The best thing you can do is just obey God. Remember Saul? God told him to wipe out the Amalekites. He saves the king. He saves a lot of things. Remember, Samson comes along. He's like, Saul, what are you doing? And Saul said, I save these for a sacrifice. And what did Samson tell him? In God's eyes, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience. Do you obey God? Do you follow his word? You see, when we look at Samson, the life he lived, Samson is one of those where you see so much potential wasted because he simply did things his way. He was concerned about his way and not doing things God's way. Let's be people that do things God's way and live for him. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had in the scriptures this evening. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for our church. Bless the rest of our evening. Pray you bless our time in prayer as we go to prayer here in just a moment. I pray that you would just um, bless the remainder of our service and we give you all the praise and the glory and help us live for you and be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have a prayer list there, does anyone have a prayer request to add to the prayer list tonight? If you have a, yes, Mona.